I thought about what I knew who I was, and um, I really, I, I don't think that I ever know who I am. I've been thinking about the entire week and trying to catch myself. That's uh, good. Glad to hear that. You know why? Because that question is unanswerable. If you had an answer, you'd be in deep shit. Because you'd be lying. It's sort of yeah. easier to answer what you're not every time you're embarrassed. She doesn't say that. Right. You're not even talking to what she said. You're just talking to something that's personal to you. What she said was she couldn't answer the question of who she is. You said what you are. Those are two entirely different questions. <coughs> I can answer what I am. So your answer about not being able to say what I am but only being able to say what I'm not is actually foolishness because I can say what I am. I can't say who I am. Who is a, is a question that just can't be answered. If you go around asking who you are, you'll just get confused. There's no point. Who is a matter of um, genetics? It's about the body, in other words. Who cares who the body is? Who gives a damn? I'm a spirit that is intended to use this body. <clears throat> and our obsession with who demonstrates our lack of willingness to be a spirit. Because what I'm more interested in, instead of being a spirit that uses this body to express what I am, I'm interested only in this body. I want to know where it came from. I want to know its history. <clears throat> I want to know its genetic structure so I know what its limitations and abilities are. <clears throat> I want to know its personality. That's the who, isn't it? Which means that you can't answer the who, even if you could figure out your gene genealogy, which right now we humans are incapable of doing, thank goodness. We're working on it. I'm real glad we can't do it yet. you're still left with a personality which is a mass of contradictions. Everything that you identify in the personality will have a contradiction. So who are you? Which of the contradictions are you? So you want an answer to that question and it can't possibly make sense. You're trying to, whatever you came up with would be an illusion. Because whatever you said, this is my who, there would be some other part of the personality that you're ignoring that contradicts it. And it would be some other person. See, the fact is, you're not even the same person all the time. You're a different person depending on who you're with, what you're doing, how you feel at the moment. Every time some little event happens in your environment, you turn into somebody else. So why even answer that question? Who cares? You have to describe your entire history from the moment you were well, actually, even worse, you'd have to describe the entire Earth's history <laughs> to answer the question, who am I? Because you'd have to include your genealogy, wouldn't you? Who cares? It's a um, much more interesting question than what am I? 
because that reminds me of the proper relationship that we're sitting here supposedly working on experiencing. The proper relationship between spirit and form and what can actually be done while I'm on planet Earth. If I concentrate on the who, then I'm saying I don't want to do what a human being can do. I just want to be an animal. And I want the animal to be to my liking. That's why I'm concerned about the who. I want to know that this animal that I'm living in is to my liking. So I want the who to be something that's pleasant to me. I want to find all the unpleasant parts of the who and get rid of it so that all I have left is the good parts. And then I'll have done my job as a human being and I can coast through the rest of my life and enjoy the fruits of my labors. <coughs> Which is why we all have so much trouble doing the work now. Because that's where you think you are. You think you've grown up and you're an adult and now you should be resting and enjoying your labors. And it isn't working out that way. And so someone comes along and says, guess what, in the real world, you're a child and you haven't even grown up yet. You still have a lot of work ahead of you before you can even consider whether you want to coast or not. And you just sort of go, oh, no, we're not doing that. It's very upsetting somehow to us, because we think that we've somehow gotten somewhere and we should be able to just do a minimal amount of work and enjoy the results of it. I had something that I found just incredibly amusing happen recently. It's been a few times recently because the way things are going and I've been late with the rent. And I got to see a side of the landlord that owns this place that I never knew existed. I've never been there late with the rent before. In fact, I've usually paid it early, by a few days. <coughs> and I found out something very, very interesting about this particular way of looking at the world. And that is that he's now at retirement age. And owning all this property was supposed to provide for him his old age. So that he could do just what we said, have that wonderful dream that we're all working towards. That's why I'm telling this story, because this isn't each of you. Right now, even though you haven't reached retirement, it's in you on the level of psychology. This is exactly your attitude on your psychology. You just don't have this attitude yet about the physical world. <clears throat> and his attitude is that now that he's got all these rental units, he should be able to be provided for, because he's going to be retired. In fact, I think he is retired now. I don't think he's working at a job anymore, and you should be able to do, you know, the typical thing of driving a motorhome around the country, having a great time with his wife, right? Sounds like great fun, doesn't it? <coughs> but anyway, that's his dream, that's fine. <coughs> Except that he spent all of his life living right at, just like everyone else's means. Those means no longer include a salary. He's not making enough money. And he's terrified. Because he realizes that his 
level of living now has to decrease because he made a slight error in calculations and it's not going to be the easy coast into old age that he thought it was. Because he had, he had a little misperception that he never noticed all these years as he was planning all this. So, well, that's exactly where you are. Only in your psychological world. You thought that if you did what you were told to do, that you would reach a place of adulthood. And then you could act out all those other dreams that you have. Except that what you were told to do doesn't make you an adult. It makes you an animal. It is run by a bunch of conflicting urges. It is never satisfied. It is never happy for more than a few moments. And now you discover that to do what really needs to be done requires a tremendous amount of work at learning and practicing something that's very difficult. When you thought that all you had to do was concentrate on doing something in the world that would put you financially at ease. And so there's a lot of resistance to admitting what's really going on. Because it means realizing that your perception of things is just wrong. And so you're in the same position that the landlord is, <coughs> where you realize that you made a slight miscalculation that ruins everything. <laughs> and to take care of it will require tremendous work. All I can say is, thank God it didn't happen to you at 65. And it happened at 25 or 35, well, you still got a little energy left in you to deal with it. Could be worse. <laughs> so why don't you just set the who question aside and realize that the proper question to be asking is what? Okay? And that at this point, even that doesn't matter because there's so much identification with the personality that the what is not really answerable except as an idea, not as an experience. And just do the work. And let questions like that come up when they can be answered, instead of wasting life's energy asking questions that you can never answer. It's just a, every moment that was spent trying to answer that question was a moment that could have been spent doing the work so that one day you could answer questions. In other words, it was worse than a waste of time. Because it took you a week closer to your death and you don't know when that is. Is that right? <laughs> and one of these days you may have wasted a few years find out that you don't have a few years left to do this. Because we don't know how much time we have. So why don't we just do what's in front of us to do and concern ourselves with those things when we're adult enough to concern ourselves with things like that. In the meantime, we have things to do that are appropriate for our level of being. <coughs> 
That's the way the work is. It gives you what is appropriate for your level of being and says, do this and your level of being will change. And one day you won't need anyone to tell you what to do anymore. And you, you'll be free to do anything you like because you can actually do something. Right now you can do hardly anything. Again, if we liken this to a, a physical activity, someone who is in third grade who gets obsessed with doing sixth grade work may never get to sixth grade because they won't learn third grade stuff and they won't learn fourth grade stuff and they won't learn... In other words, if you just did <coughs> what you're given to do at the grade that you're at, it might well be that that would prepare you for the next grade without you having to understand how it worked. Right. Somebody else had something. I was going to ask you to go over again why it's wrong to want to help someone. I didn't say it was wrong. Maybe that's why I'm in trouble figuring it out. And I never said it was wrong. I said it was stupid and uh, violent. Could you expand on that for a couple sentences? Uh, being stupid and violent? Why is that? Well, it's, haven't you ever noticed that when you help somebody sooner or later, they get pissed at you and try and do something to you that you would prefer they not do? Well, sometimes. How, how often? Well, I would say all the time is not sometimes. Well, once I helped the guy change the tire on the freeway. Okay, you didn't see him long enough for him to do anything back. It takes a little time before that happens, isn't that right? It doesn't just happen immediately. No. Okay, well then that doesn't count, does it? You didn't have the relationship long enough for anything to happen. <coughs> see, let's, let's stop this weird thinking that lets me believe there are exceptions to things that don't have exceptions. And consider the times when you had a relationship of help with somebody for an, enough time that you can see the outcome of that relationship. Stopping for 15 minutes to change a tire doesn't tell you very much of anything about that's not a good data point, is it? <coughs> consider the rest of the experience. <laughs> I think you'll find it's a pretty high percentage of the time. And most of the time when you help someone, you reach a point in the relationship where they get really upset and they sort of attack you. Well, then I call it stupid. And why do they do that, though? Uh, that's not my point right this second. What difference does it make? Why? Do I need to know why a bumblebee attacks me to know to stay away from bumblebees? I guess bumblebees don't do that. But you get the point. I don't really need to know why the bee wants to sting me to notice it happens often enough to stay away from them. I don't need an explanation. So I call that stupid. If you do something over and over again that experience dictates turns out pretty yucky, then I think that's stupid. It's called not learning from experience. It's called having such an ideal that the experience teaches you nothing. 
That's stupid. Okay? So that's why I say it's stupid. <clears throat> As to the violence, it's very simple, and it also explains the other question that you asked. What you do when you help someone is you tell them that they're inferior to you. Well, I don't blame them for attacking you after a while. That really gets on your nerves, doesn't it? But that's what you told them. They're inferior to you. And the longer you help them, the more inferior they feel, and after a while they've got to get rid of you. So they can have a good feeling about themselves again. Mm -hmm. So I consider that a very violent thing to do. You've just told someone that there is something wrong with them. That is the greatest violence that I know. To tell someone that there's something wrong with them and they're incapable of doing anything about it. They need assistance. They need help. It's not true. They don't need any help. They're perfectly capable of dealing with it. What they need, perhaps, exists. There may be a need there, but it's not someone else to do it for them. That makes them incapable. <clears throat> it doesn't assist them in any way, shape, or form. It's actually quite harmful to them. It takes them from a, probably a pretty bad place and puts them in a worse place. They may look like physically they're in a better situation, but they're actually in a far worse situation because now they've been rendered incapable. Everybody believes that they're incapable already. That's one of the biggest problems with our psychology is that we have too many places in ourselves where we feel helpless and like we can't do anything about something. We don't need someone coming along and agreeing with us. We actually need somebody coming along and saying, you're wrong. You can do this. Get off, off your butt. <laughs> Any other questions or comments? Does serve as a good preamble. I'm not surprised that I wanted to talk about tonight, <clears throat> which is to maybe take the work that we've been doing for the last few months, ever been, and see if we can take stock of the situation a little bit and try and see what's going on. actually wants is a how-to. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. We want someone to tell us how-to. And the work doesn't have a how-to. It does have a method, but it is not a how-to. <clears throat> the method of the work is not the kind of how-to that you would want. Because your how-to makes a very interesting assumption. It makes, number one, the assumption I can do. In other words, if you told me how to do it, I could do it. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. 
You couldn't possibly ask for a method of doing something if you believed yourself incapable of doing it. It would be stupid. So there's an assumption built into the demand for a how-to, which is that if you just told me how to do it, I could. <clears throat> Except anybody who spends a little bit of time observing self realizes that if it requires activity from the real eye, ain't going to get done. After all these works, how much time, after weeks, sorry, after all these weeks, how much time can you spend in a state of self-knowing, which is something that requires activity from the real eye? How much time during the day do you actually spend in a state of self-knowing? You see, that's something that only the real eye can do. Is it a very large percentage? Pretty small. So this assumption turns out to be incorrect. If the how-to were something that were part of your normal daily activity, then I would say absolutely you could do it. But if it requires a new kind of activity <clears throat> that needs participation from the real part of you, you couldn't even do it. So the demand for how-to is a waste of time. If there were a method, you couldn't do it. <clears throat> the first bit of exercises or experiments that are given out in this work is to develop the eye, which you can only do a very small amount right now, to the point where it can actually do something. Then we can say, here's something to do. But right now, if we asked you to do it, it would be a waste of time. Instead, we ask you to do what you can do. You can observe the self. Isn't that right? Even in this weird state that we find ourselves when we come to the teaching, we can do that much. Not well and not for very long, because the part of ourselves that needs to do that is very weak. But we can do it. So that becomes part of the method. And it's really called I can't even give you the method until you get stronger. So let me give you something to do that will strengthen you. So you can one day do something real. Not just something that requires the animal's unconscious, habitual actions. So, because the how-to when it comes to consciousness has nothing to do with anything that the animal does habitually. It has to do with something the animal has never ever done which is allow the real eye to run the machine. And it's never done that. In fact, the idea scares the crap out of it. It doesn't even want that to happen. It works against it. If the real eye begins to want to run the machine, it gets really terrified and starts working very hard to keep it from happening. <clears throat> so that's one of the first things to realize about our situation is that I cannot do very much. When asked to do something that requires real effort from the real part of myself, I discover very quickly that I cannot do very much. And so my first job is to stop doing all the things that the personality tells me to do, like answering big heavy questions, 
pondering great things, demanding to have explanations for all things, whether it come from self or others, and all the stuff that occupies my time, figuring things out, oh my, does that occupy the time, doesn't it? But to simply do what I can do so I can become stronger. To take the little that I can do now and do it more and more and more until I become strong enough to one day do something. What, what other point of view could one have when one discovers how little one can do as a real being? I need to develop that little that I can into something very great. That's, that's the first thing, isn't it? Assuming, of course, that I can recognize that I can't do very little right now, that I can differentiate between the fact that the body can be um, conditioned to do just about anything, which is called training. That's what you do with training. You get somebody to do something over and over again until they can do it easily, right? And it's just a habitual action. They may or may not even understand what they're doing, isn't that right? Sometimes along with the training comes an explanation, so you think you understand it. Sometimes you don't get the explanation. You're just told, do this. That's not you doing something, is it? That is training a dog. It has nothing to do with you. It's just training a dog. Anybody can train a dog if they know how to do it. Just like anyone can train a human. The knowledge about how to train humans is pretty accessible. It's actually more accessible than how to train a dog, isn't it? You probably have to go to school or read a book or something to find out how to train a dog, but I think everybody knows how to train humans. Excuse me one second. So the I is in a really weird situation, one that we don't, for some reason, like to recognize. I think because we don't know what to do about it. We don't know the how to fix it, so we just feel terrified of even admitting this to ourselves. But to really do the work of developing the real I, you've got to admit this. Is I can do almost nothing because the machine is doing everything. And what's really true is that I'm identified with the personality that does all things, so I imagine that I'm doing something, but I'm not. I'm just a passenger in a very strongly conditioned animal, a very well-trained animal. And I believe myself to be that animal, so I'm very impressed by what I can do. And the fact is I'm doing none of it. I'm not even paying attention most of the time. There are only a few things in our lives that we actually pay attention to, and they're usually technical subjects. Our work, some hobby that really interests us. That's about it. I don't know many people that pay attention when they're in a relationship. They find out that things have been really screwy when the other person in the relationship throws a tantrum. And, you know, until that person throws the tantrum, you thought everything was fine. 
because you weren't paying any attention at all. And then, of course, after they throw the tantrum, you kind of look back and say, wow, there were a lot of signs that they were upset. I just didn't notice. A lot of love in that relationship. Huh? I love you so much, I don't even know you're here. Don't even pay attention to you. As long as everything looks fine, then I just don't even pay attention to you. I'm not interested in you. I'm only interested in what I can get out of this relationship. <clears throat> and we do that with most things. We don't pay attention to driving unless it's necessary. The rest of the time, the body just drives around and we're staring out the window and thinking about what we're going to do when we get there. We don't pay any attention to it. After all, it's just a life-threatening situation. We don't have to pay attention to it. It's just one of the most dangerous things that we ever do. So I can't even pay much attention to things, even when I'm not doing it. Even when the, when the personality is doing all the work, I can't even pay attention to what it's doing. Which is the first thing that we're asked to do when we get to the work. Start paying attention. Start realizing that there, you are not the personality. That somewhere behind that personality is a real living being that is usually in quite a bit of suffering because the personality is not doing what it wants. The personality has been conditioned to do some things that are just not what that real being would want to do. And it's been conditioned to never do certain things that that real being wants more than anything else to do. So that real being is usually in quite a bit of suffering in the midst of this whole experience. And so it's rather unpleasant for most of us to wake up a bit and realize that there is a real thing behind that personality. Because what we start to experience is a very real suffering. The suffering that comes from a real living being being trapped in the personality that does whatever it damn well pleases. And we actually want to go back to sleep. We don't like the experience of our own suffering. Instead of using that suffering as a sort of goad to say, I really want to do the work, we use it as an excuse to go back to sleep so I won't be aware. Because you know, that's how you got into this mess in the first place. Did you know that? Along about the age of five or six, every human being that I've ever met makes a decision that life is so unpleasant that they're just going to go away and let the machine take care of everything. And then it won't hurt so much. And you can watch kids about that age. It happens somewhere around that time for most people. Some a little younger, some a little older. You can watch kids around that age and it's very interesting. Some of them it's very clear that they're going through this and some you can't even hardly tell. <clears throat> they're already so mechanical that there's, al you can't, there's almost no sign that they're going through it. But some of them where there's a tremendous vitality, a tremendous spark of life in that child, you can really see the struggle that's going on in them. As the machine begins to just take over with, with their own consent, and yet they're not happy about it, so they struggle with the whole thing. But at a certain point, we all decided life was so painful that we didn't want to experience it. And so as you wake up, what you begin to experience is that pain that you've never dealt with. The suffering is caused by being trapped in an animal. 
and yet you're in a place where the whole purpose is to find out how not to be trapped in that animal anymore, but somehow that isn't enough to let us go on working very, very hard to separate ourselves from this personality that we've identified with of our own desire. We wanted to do this at a certain point in our life. We were very young. We understood very little. And it made sense to us that this would work. If I weren't experiencing this anymore, it wouldn't hurt. It would only hurt the personality. And we forgot about identification, didn't we? If I'm identified with the personalities that hurts, then I hurt. <laughs> so it's a stupid idea. But every one of us seems to have to find out for ourselves that it's a stupid idea. Okay. That's sort of where we stand. Okay, so it takes a certain effort to be aware of self all the time because there's a certain amount of discomfort and unpleasantness in it. But it's the only effort that makes sense. And it would be interesting to see how little we put into trying to increase this ability to do, which is the real I, finally doing something. Because we can't see the value of it. Because after all, when I do it, it tends to hurt. Okay? So that's the first little thing that would be interesting to consider for a bit my own desire to wake up, <clears throat> which means to say this personality is not me, to wake up from the dream that I am the conditioning that's happened to this animal that I live in, and say, no, that's not me. I don't know what I am yet, but I know that ain't me. You know how I know? Because I'm watching it. I can't watch something that's me. I can't look at myself. There's no mirror that I can look in. That's not me anyway. That's just a reflection, isn't it? It's an illusion. It's an image. Anything that I can look at is not me. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Something... I've never found it particularly painful to see this stuff. I've always just had the experience of Oh, cool, I, I found that. Um, what seems to me, what I think happens with me is that I do it enough so that, like, the general level of pain goes way down, and then so does my urgency about doing anything more. Yeah, that's, that's about right. Whatever, whatever experience I'm talking about for you is way in the past, and you've probably forgotten it by now. I mean, you have been around this stuff for a while. Yeah. Okay, but, well, I'm really talking about something that's on my mind these days, which is that. I heard. 
the master decision is still very much running the show. And that's why I've been spending all this time talking about the idea of a seventh decision. Mm -hmm. The seventh decision says, I want something more than I want just to be comfortable. So even when it's comfortable, I'm going to do the work. That's when people go to sleep. Probably deeper than when there's pain. They're more likely to do the work when there's pain. When people really go to sleep is when it gets comfortable for a while. And that's the time when you can least afford to go to sleep. Discomfort is a necessity of a person who wants to be conscious of life. Someone who really wants to be conscious makes sure there's a certain degree of discomfort in their life most of the time, on purpose, because they know they require it. What, you go out and make yourself uncomfortable? That's exactly right. I didn't say, you cut yourself or you know, stop doing things that are necessary for your existence or something foolish like that, but that's a certain amount of discomfort. Someone who really sees how fast they go to sleep and they get comfortable ensures that that's not possible. And they create a certain degree of discomfort in your life to keep you awake. It's very easy to do. All you have to do is spend less time being occupied with your daily living and spend a little bit more time doing experiments that are designed to poke around in your personality. And I guarantee you, you'll be real uncomfortable because there's crud in there <laughs> that's very well hidden when you're comfortable. You start poking around and it'll keep you on your toes for a while. Do little experiments to see what's in the personality. To find the hidden things. And life will get not unpleasant, they come uncomfortable, but it will get just slightly uncomfortable enough that I will not forget to do the work. Because you know, that's, that's when you really fall asleep. When things are going pretty good and it's comfortable and you think, oh, I can just coast, I don't need to pay attention now, it's all working out. Well, that's the time to really get cracking. That's the time to go do some odd experiment, <coughs> like um, getting rejected, <laughs> getting disapproval, feeling insignificant, doing little things to find parts of the personality that are very well hidden when you're uncomfortable. Any other questions? Let's take a short break. So we listen to all sorts of authorities telling us that if we just live a certain way, that won't happen to us. They've taken everything that's fun out of life. Just so you can prevent dying of a horrible disease, and I notice that everyone does it anyway. Very few people just get old and the body falls apart and they die in their sleep. Most people end up in a damn hospital connected to all sorts of machines while they're pumped full of morphine so they won't have to experience the whole thing. Isn't that about right? One feeling that it might be interesting to experience, I'm incapable of experiencing. And that is called love. 
I could have Paya. I could care for kids, my own and others. I can care for my family some of the time, of course. <clears throat> I can have Philos. But you notice I often can't do these both at the same time. I can care for the kids, but I can't always approve of them. Well, philos is largely approval, isn't it? So if you don't approve of your kids at this moment, then you have pia for them, but you have no philos. You don't like them anymore. So you can do some of these some of the time, but you can't even do all of them all of the time. You can experience eros for a period of time. <coughs> but the greatest of these which only a human can do, you cannot do, which is to experience agape for self and others. To look at other people and say, I understand what's going on with you. I see where you are. You're doing exactly the same thing that everyone else does. What to you is right, proper, or justifiable. As far as the teaching is concerned, an animal that cannot experience agape is not human. Everyone is walking around saying, what is it that sets and makes a human different from the animals? Well, that's it, folks. The fact that humans can potentially experience a certain form of love that no other animal on this planet can experience. Animals can have affection for you, they can approve of you, they can have feelings for you, they can have paya, some of them, not all. Some animals can't even... Huh? Sometimes they have arrows for you. Yeah, sometimes they have arrows. <laughs> 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 it just goes to show what happens when you create conflict in someone. You get all sorts of dysfunctions. <laughs> I don't suppose that a wild dog would have much arrows for you. <laughs> but the minute we create conflict in our pets, they get the same sort of dysfunctional not eyes that we get, and then they can do weird things like that, just as we humans are quite capable of having arrows for some very odd things, can't we? <laughs> That's what sets human beings apart from the animals, which means that most human beings are not human. I, I'm not. That's one of the first things that I discover when I start doing the work, if I'm honest. I'm not human. <coughs> I have much potential. And in the dream that I've lived in with the personality, I've imagined that all that potential has been activated. But it's not so. I can't walk around more or less constantly in a state of agape for everyone that I meet. So I'm not human. That's something that a real eye does. So, it just walks around more or less constantly to the best of their ability, 100% of the time in a state of agape. Except I can't do it. So I'm not even human at this point. That's one of the things the work is there to do, is to allow you to actually become human. So far you only have the potential to be human. You've never 
activated that potential. As long as one is completely or mostly identified with the animal that one is living in, one is not even human, one is just an animal called a man, not a human being. And that's how you can tell a human being. They actually love, perhaps not all of the time, but much of the time, they actually experience agape for others himself. We have trouble even approving of things, much less having agape for it. <clears throat> you see, agape takes all of these which any animal can experience and completes them. Without agape, the experience of love is incomplete. And so paya means nothing. It just means nothing. It just is a purely automatic, mechanical response of the body. It means nothing. But when you experience understanding for the children that you want to take care of, then paya means something very wonderful. Philos means nothing. The fact that you have likes and dislikes means absolutely nothing because you have no understanding of your own likes and dislikes. They're purely conditioned responses. It means that that happened to you three or four times in a row at a certain point in your life and it was pleasant, so now you like it, even though it's still not always pleasant. It's been conditioned into you so that even now, maybe every time it happens, it's unpleasant. You still like it. You don't even notice that every time you do it now, it's unpleasant, and vice versa. Those things that we don't like are things that happen to us several times in a row, and the outcome was quite unpleasant, so we don't like it. So our philos is entirely based on conditioning. It's not based on understanding. One who completes philos with agape can understand when to approve, when not to, <clears throat> and what all that means. And the same thing with Eros. Without Philos, Eros is just a destroying destructive force, isn't it? We've all decided to play with Eros as a society, not every individual of us, but as a society, we decided to play with arrows as though it were not a very powerful force, as though it were just a, an appetite. <coughs> and we've certainly reaped the consequences of that experiment. Without philos, arrows is just a terribly powerful destructive force. You might as well stick your finger in, in an electric outlet because you're allowing this tremendously powerful force to run through the body more or less continuously. You're not designed for that. You're designed to experience it occasionally, not on a more or less constant basis. A lot of people do that with their whole lives and then find themselves in a very burnt out place where they pretty much destroyed their vitality and then find that they have all sorts of strange things happen to the body and wonder why. <clears throat> At least with a bit of philos, if people would add some philos to their arrows, it can be a somewhat more pleasant experience. You might hang around one person long enough that you wouldn't be ravaged by the arrows all the time. 
if you add agape onto it, it becomes an incredible experience. Except that most of us have never had that. Because we can't experience agape. So all that ends up happening is we're run by anger, fear, guilt, and insecurity. Which is destroying us physically and psychologically. It leads to strange behavioral adaptations that we can't seem to do anything about and leads to physiological adaptations, both of which eventually bring about our destruction. <coughs> so we find that we're in rather an unpleasant situation where there is a personality totally in charge. We can barely do anything. <coughs> and we think we are that personality. So anytime someone points out what doesn't work about the personality, we take it personally and get hurt. And discover another interesting aspect of our existence, which is that what I know of myself is not even true. It's an illusion called vanity or a false picture of self painted by the personality. And then I spend much of my time defending that because it's not true. So I live a life more or less constantly on the defense. I've got to be constantly walking around watching for when someone is attacking me. Because the last thing I want to do is find out that my self-image is just a load of crap. It's not true. It's a funny picture that I painted. I know nothing about me for real. And the other thing that we notice is that we are full of greed. Our entire existence is about constantly having pleasure on all four levels of our existence all the time. So we've gone beyond selfish, which is a wonderful thing, to greedy. In my greed, I will do things that is in no one's best interest, not mine or not anyone that I'm around. Because I want some pleasure right now. And I will pay any price for it. I will sell my soul for pleasure. And all of us, I'm sure, have had the experience of waking up after some little pleasure pursuit and realized that we gave up everything that we care about for some pleasure. That we ceased to exist as a real being just so we could get some particular little pleasure that was very important to us. And that's not what the work is about. 
The work starts, if you remember, with the idea that you are not alone in this experience. That you're not even the one that does anything. That when we talk about you being able to do anything, about all we can talk about is the ability to put or place attention on things. That's about all you can do. Everything else is done by another spirit, another being that you have chosen to ignore. That is a part of you, although it seems to be separate from you. But it's all irrelevant anyway, whether it's a part of you or not a part of you, because you've chosen to pretend that you're here all by yourself, that you're the most powerful, wonderful thing in your vanity. You've got this lovely image of yourself as being powerful and capable, and I can do this, and I can do that, and if someone would just tell me how to do it, I would do it. And it's all a lie. The work is all about developing a relationship between the awareness and X. It has nothing to do <coughs> with a how-to. It's about becoming a partner with a being that you have ignored all of your life. You've prattled about it, perhaps, if you're a religious type, you've hammered on about it and said, oh, I love God, and God loves me, and I worship Him, and I'm doing everything for His greater glory. <clears throat> but you have never had an experience of a relationship with that part of self called the X. And that's what the work is about, is about developing that relationship. About seeing my place in this game and starting to be the one that does my job. That I always want to do X's job all the time. I want to know the how, and then I will do it. And that's not the way the game is played. The very demand for a how-to says that you will not do the work. Because the work is about setting up a relationship with a being that already knows how to do this. And just saying, I want it done. There is no how-to. <clears throat> the exercises that are given are given to develop what you can do, which is place attention. You can do that. It's just you've never developed the ability to use attention very well. You're lucky if you can put attention on something and keep it there for a few moments. The first little thing that comes along, you always forget that you're going to pay attention to such and such. But the one thing that the awareness can do, one thing that we know it can do at this point, is put attention on something and just leave it there for as long as it likes. Then the awareness actually is able to do. That's one of its abilities. It can't do all this other stuff that it claims to do. It can't walk. It can only say, I want to walk and put attention on walking. But it can't do the walking. You see, we've usurped the place of this other being that we're in relationship with, so how can we have a relationship with it? We're supposedly doing everything that it does. When you think about that in a physical sense, imagine that you had a partnership, and you claimed to do everything that your partner actually did. 
until after a while you forgot that you had a partner. What if your partner got upset with you? Hmm? What if he said, you know, I'm really tired of you taking credit for everything that I do, and so I'm not doing it anymore. What would you do? You wouldn't even know what had happened, would you? Now you've forgotten that it's really someone else who did all those things you claim to be doing. I mean, what kind of relationship is that? What kind of partnership is that? Where you totally forget that the other person even exists and then claim to be doing everything that they're doing. How good are you going to be at doing your job when you actually think you're doing someone else's job that you're not even doing? Somehow or another, it all just magically happens. You have no idea how, because you've forgotten this other person you're in partnership with. You write out a work ticket for something, you know, and somehow the job gets done. You don't know how, but you imagine that you did it. <clears throat> That's what the work is about. It's about remembering this other being that I'm sharing this experience with and seeing what the relationship is and beginning to live in that relationship, which is the way I was designed. What I am doing goes entirely against every design principle of the body that I'm using. And then I wonder why things sort of act funny. I mean, that's what we looked at when we looked at these emotions that we're having that we're not designed to have anger, fear, guilt, and insecurity. Because they're all about wanting power. Who needs power when they're in relationship with the creator of the universe? What could the creator of the universe ever be afraid of? It's foolishness. What is there that X couldn't deal with? If I were in relationship with X, I could never be afraid of anything, because no matter what came up, I would know that X could deal with it. No matter how threatening the situation seemed to be, there would be no fear. There would occasionally be a startle when something happened that I was totally not expecting, yes. That experience of something just suddenly happening that you're not experiencing is called being startled, and that would still happen because the awareness just didn't see it coming. But not fear. X can handle anything. What would there to be insecure about? When you're in partnership with the being that created the entire universe. How could you feel guilty? <clears throat> How could the creator of all things ever feel guilty? He created all this stuff and then he did something with it and he says, Oops, shouldn't have done that? Says who? <laughs> what nonsense! get angry about? 
made this thing and it didn't do what I wanted, now I'm really ticked. Of course, I'm the one who made it not do what I wanted. You see? Because we don't have this proper relationship and we're trying to take over X's job and, and figure the how out all the time, we live a just completely insane life. And that's what the work is about, is about seeing the way things were designed and living according to that way. And it puts you into <coughs> a relationship where what used to be the biggest, most important thing there was, which is I, suddenly is in relationship to this incredible being, which is X. And I suddenly don't feel so big and important anymore. So what? It's called humility. So instead of trying to get power to control, because I'm ignoring the true power of the universe called X and trying to do it myself, instead of walking around using anger, fear, guilt, and insecurity to control things to make me powerful, I'm in communion with an incredible being. That's what the work is about. About disidentifying with the personality long enough that I can start to experience this other invisible being that I'm sharing this whole thing with and set up the relationship I was designed to have, at least while I'm human. What the relationship will be after this experience is over, I don't know. I can tell you what it is while you're human. Okay. And we've done that. <coughs> it's called, the work, so-called how-to or method, is to be obedient to my nature. And we hate the word obedient. Because the only obedience we know is to a set of arbitrary rules made up by stupid people isn't that right? And they're stupid rules. We don't like them. I spent half my life breaking the law, trying not to get caught. Nothing serious. I don't rob banks or murder people, but I do a lot of things that there are laws against, and I have to keep real quiet about the fact that I do them. because the laws are stupid. So we hate the idea of obedience. The only obedience that we know is to be obedient to an institution of some kind. Something that human beings made that was supposed to serve a purpose and eventually the institution becomes more important than the purpose. Everybody forgets what the purpose is and then the life of the institution becomes what matters. Isn't that right? Just look at a few institutions that we have in this world. Government. What's the purpose of government? <laughs> Theoretically, to serve the people that it governs. Well, it forgot that, didn't it? And now the purpose of government is to be there so we can serve it. Isn't that right? It is no longer our servant, even though they still have the things on the cars, you know, like the police here in L.A. anyway, still safe to protect and to serve. 
<coughs> I've never had a police offer to be a servant to me. I have occasionally called upon them to be a servant, and they will do it, but they don't look too happy about it most of the time. It's like, how come you're stopping us from doing important work like getting those bad guys? Well, I thought that was your job, you know, that's why you put it all over the car, that your job is to protect me and to serve me. But they've forgotten that, haven't they? Their job is to catch all the bad guys, which, by the way, is everyone who isn't them. Now, I'm not condemning the police. Don't misunderstand. I understand the game that they're, that they're enmeshed in. <clears throat> if I lived in their world, I might well develop that attitude myself. I don't know. But I do know that they've forgotten what the game is. They think that they're very important, that without them, the entire world would fall apart and turn into an anarchy where animals went around raping and pillaging. I ain't joking. That's the attitude of most, probably not all, but most policemen that I've ever really met. You should hear them when they talk amongst themselves. I worked on a project, a computer project once, where I was in doing something in a in the police departments. And I used to hear them talking amongst themselves because I was just around, you know. And it's outrageous. I mean, that's the way they look at things. They are the thin blue wall that they claim to be. And they consider everyone but themselves to be bad. Most of you just haven't proven it yet. But they'll catch you at it sooner or later. So the government, I mean, we're just looking at one small aspect of it. It's forgotten its job, hasn't it? And now the institution is what's important. It is no longer the function of the institution, but the institution itself has a life of its own and now must be fed. <coughs> and what it's fed with is living sacrifice. Each of us are human sacrifices to the institutions that we created. We expect to sacrifice our energy called money. We're expected to sacrifice our very lives to the institutions that we created, aren't we? We're supposed to live according to its rules, whether it's meaningful for me or not. Each of us is a completely unique individual. We cannot make a set of rules for human beings to live up to. That's called human sacrifice. We laugh and old cultures that had human sacrifice you know, where they ripped the hearts out of people and gave them to the gods. The only difference that we've done is we've made our gods institutions. And we don't rip the hearts out, we drain the blood slowly over time. <laughs> now personally, I think I'd rather somebody just stab me and rip my heart out than did it over 80 years of slow draining. It's called human sacrifice. We've done it with our churches. <clears throat> I laugh every time I see one of the Christian broadcasts. I'm not that I have anything against them. I'll misunderstand again. <clears throat> it's just this one particular aspect of them that I find incredibly amusing where they always have to say God and his church. That's the relationship. They never talk about the relationship between God and his people. They talk about the relationship between God and his church. And the church has a relationship with the people. Watch them sometime. It's, it's hilarious. That is the way they talk about Christianity. 
God has a relationship with his church. Not with you. The church has a relationship with you. So we've forgotten the function of our own institutions, haven't we? And that's our idea of obedience. So we hear the word obedience quite naturally, and we go, no way. I obey nothing. We're talking about being obedient to your nature as a human being, not to anyone or anything. You see, you're not being obedient to your nature right now, which is to be aware. You're allowing the personality to be aware for you. You're not even doing your job, in other words. That would be obedience to the nature, would be to do your job. picture of man that we originally started with, we have this being that is life, that gave this one and every other human being an incredible gift, which is the privilege of sharing life. And we all decided we wanted that experience. probably wondered why after we got here and found out what the experience was, but we at one time said we wanted that experience to share living with this incredible being that is life itself. <clears throat> to do that we created a form. <clears throat> the form contains all the memory and all the habits to make it easy for us so that we don't have to remember all the incredible details of doing the simplest thing so the awareness would not be encumbered with that so the form has that the physical body has this thing called conditioning which says if you do something several times in a row you no longer have to pay attention to it it'll happen all by itself if you just start it that's supposed to be a gift to you to make living pleasant so you don't have to be encumbered by these incredible details of doing this simplest thing <laughs> and we've decided to let it just be our entire existence and do everything for us pay attention do everything that is our job to do and then there is the awareness function which is here to pay attention to say what is going on. And to say what I want to do. And we're letting the conditioning do that for us. It tells us what is going on. And it tells us what we want. And all it wants is pleasure. wants to be a greedy little animal because that's what it is without a living being present in that animal then that's what it is what do you expect of an animal 
If there's nobody riding a horse, then I expect the horse to be a horse, wouldn't you? If there's a human on it, I would expect the horse to occasionally do things that horses don't particularly want to do. So the work is to start to develop that ability to pay attention, which I have never really developed because at a very young age I decided that life was painful and I sort of had second thoughts about this idea that I had to come and experience life. And I left the awareness, or the, I'm sorry, the personality did the job of paying attention for me. Until now, when I can't, I can't even tell the difference between me and the personality, I've become totally identified with it. So I'm not doing my job. And that's what the work is about. It is not a how-to. It's some things that you can do to develop the ability to do your job that also make it possible for you to be present, called breaking the identification with the physical form and its personality, and maybe give you enough space that you can see that you're in relationship with an incredible being, and start doing your part of the job, which is to say, here's what's going on here, and here's what I'd like to see happen. Here's what I'm interested in. Here's what I'd like to do. And have fun with X doing it. That's called being obedient to my nature as the awareness function of X. Stop imagining that I'm here all by myself and say I'm sharing this experience with an incredible intelligence of which I'm a small part this awareness part. I have my own intelligence. It's nothing compared to the vastness of X's intelligence, but I have it. <clears throat> and I will certainly use that. I have a lot of other abilities that we know very little about. We've never developed the, the basic one, which is the ability to pay attention. And really, without that ability to develop, you can't really develop any of your other potentials. So you actually have a lot more potential that you don't know anything about as the awareness function. And no matter how developed I get as an awareness function, I will still be this infinitesimal little speck compared to X. It's, it's only us that's bothered by that. X has this incredible love for us. Whether we're big, small, or important or not important, it's just irrelevant in the relationship of love. It's, it's like the, the modern myth that we all love and know so well <coughs> about the man who gets into relationship with a woman who makes ten times the amount of money that he does and all the crap that he goes through trying to deal with vanity. That's our position with X, isn't it, regardless of sex. Our vanity wants to be so important and we're in a very intimate relationship with a being that when we're around we can never feel important. Love, yes. 
but not important. <laughs> and that disturbs apparently the vanity so much that most people just don't want to experience that relationship, and yet that's what the work is about. Developing your ability to pay attention all the time. That's your job. In other words, start doing your job all the time, not just occasionally when it seems proper, fitting to you, but all the time, so that you can have this experience in relationship with acts. It may not be important, but look at what X has done. X is having this experience too. You know. We're sharing the experience. Whatever happens in this life, it happens as much to X as it does to me. X is tied into the body. It has to be in order to make it function. It's having the same experience that you're having. X has just given you this incredible privilege that says whatever you say goes. It's not that X is stupid and doesn't know what's going on. It's just that what would be the point of sharing the experience if X did the part of the awareness? Then you would not be an individual, would you? <clears throat> so if you lead a line that says, I'm going to have greed and anger and fear and insecurity and guilt running the show and vanity, Guess who else is experiencing it with you? And yet that being never says, you know, you're doing a shitty job, I'm taking over. <clears throat> never says that. So you may not be important, but you're the one driving in your particular life. Somebody has a lot of respect for you. I've been in that situation before of being around somebody that I felt really minuscule around. And somebody whose abilities far exceeded my own. I've been in that situation several times. I'm sure most people have. <clears throat> and sometimes the other person can't stand me. And it's really unpleasant being around somebody who's far more able than you are who doesn't like you. But occasionally it's been the other way around where this person that, in my opinion, had far greater, was gifted with far greater abilities than I had, or at least had developed them far better than I had, had a lot of respect for me and my abilities. Now, do you exactly feel rotten in that circumstance, or does that make you feel kind of good? So this game of feeling insignificant and inferior around this being doesn't make a lot of sense when you consider it. He has so much respect for you and your intelligence that he's given you complete charge of this life that he's experiencing. Every ache that you feel, he feels. Every surge of emotion that you feel, he feels. Except he feels it with full awareness because he don't go to sleep like we do. And never once does he say, forget it, you're doing a shitty job, I'm taking over. What incredible respect is being given to the human awareness functions of intelligence. 
by an intelligence that is so vast we can't even understand it. And we're concerned about feeling inferior. It doesn't make sense. I may feel insignificant, but I don't feel inferior when somebody that incredible has that much respect for me. That's a proper relationship. I see the whole thing, not just the part that vanity sees, but the whole thing. Let's take a short break, and we'll see if we can come up with some work to do based on this idea and maybe answer any questions, whatever, okay? of the work <coughs> is to let this picture function again as it was designed to. <coughs> the awareness function perceives, decides what's true, it puts its own value on it based on some purpose that it has come up with for its particular unique individuality reports that to action, action uh, the awareness experiences are being done. <coughs> That's what the work is about. About allowing this to function that way again. Instead of the awareness function providing all the haves. Which is what's going on now. The personality thinks it already knows how to do everything doesn't need any help. But the only time that I ever see people actually doing this is when they get into a particular circumstance where they realize they just don't know how. And then tell, people tell me these incredible stories where they looked at what was going on. I just heard one last night. And they said, you know what, I don't know how to deal with this. I just don't know what to do. So they told X what was going on and said, I don't know what to do. And then watched something incredible happen. And they told me what a wonderful experience it was because they knew they didn't weren't doing it. They knew they didn't know how to do it. They knew this. That was the whole point. Well, why not live that way? That's really what this whole thing is about, is to get this thing working the way it was designed again. The personality encapsulates hows. It's all your experiences and how to do things. And you get to the point where you think that that's all you need, <clears throat> is what the personality knows how to do. So that only works for the stuff that you've always, always done. It doesn't work for brand new things. 
and it means that you live in a world where everything is a repeat. Endless, endless patterns in our lives, isn't that right? Anybody who looks at human lives sees these endless repetitions of patterns over and over and over again and says, where the hell do they come from? Well, they come from a Nodai who jumps up and says, I've had this experience before and starts repeating, reporting it through you as if it were that other experience and so you end up going through cycles of experiences. That's where all that pattern in that life comes from. Endless repetition of the same old thing. Life occasionally throws a little curve at you and you actually have to learn something new, but most of the time you just repeat the same stuff over and over and over again. In most people's lives is a study in trying to break those patterns. Because most people's patterns don't work very well, do they? A few of them do. But most of them, we don't like them. They always take us to a place where we look around and say, Ew, I've been here before and I didn't like it then either. So our psychology is about trying to break those patterns. Yeah. Lots of people will assist you doing that. It's not what the work is about. The work is about developing the awareness so it can do its part of this job of being a human being so that whatever is uniquely the awareness which comes through most in the valuing <clears throat> can be expressed so that this awareness can develop as, a, as an individual by doing its own valuing, not by just repeating the value that's been given to it by the personality, by the not I. Okay. So we start something that makes the awareness function <coughs> start to do something on its own again, which is self-knowing. Got to know the difference between when some not-I has a thought and I'm actually doing something and right now I do not know the difference. I cannot tell the difference between the thinking that goes on in the head, which is not me, and me actually being here. We're all addicted to thinking. And we, we are all, in essence, Descartians who believe, I think, therefore I am, which is bad logic, much less a reasonable statement of existence. Do you know what happens if you use logic on the statement, I think, therefore I am? You know what that statement actually means when looked at logically? I am. Well, hell, I knew that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding about this. There's a big treatise that was written some years ago where somebody used analytical logic on that statement that was supposed to be so wonderful by Descartes and said, what does that statement actually mean? It sounds very lovely. <clears throat> and after you're through using logic on it to get at the actual content of the statement, that's what it means. I am. You can go read it yourself. I didn't make this up. Well, I knew that. The problem is, 
I can't be without being something. So I constantly identify. If there's a thought going on, it must be not me. But it's not. Thinking is a purely mechanical function of the body. It has nothing to do with me. And almost all of it comes from the self. It does not even come from me. I didn't even ask the thinking to happen, even though I believed that I did. I didn't. I can't ask the mind to think about something for me. Kind of like running a computer, you know. You plug a program into it and say, here, run this program for me and tell me what the results are. It's not a function of awareness. It's a function of the body. And an awareness function can ask the mind to think about a subject and tell it what it comes up with, because it's useful. But it has nothing to do with you as an awareness function. Without a, a brain, you wouldn't think. What would you think with? Awareness functions don't think. That's a function of, of being in a form. You don't think without a mind, without a brain. It's ridiculous. <clears throat> you start, you give the brain a subject and it mechanically associates ideas. It says, this subject reminds me of this subject, which reminds me of this subject, and eventually it gets to the end and says, this doesn't remind me of anything <laughs> I've done. <laughs> That's all thinking is. And most of it is the not eyes having an argument about what to con the eye into telling X. It's not even for any useful purpose. That's called disidentifying. So there can be a real presence here that can actually do the job of paying attention and valuing, saying, I know what's going on. Not having to walk around saying for the rest of his life, I'm not sure. I had this experience, but I'm not sure what happened. I know what's going on. And then putting value on it based on some purpose that it's chosen. That starts being able to pay attention all the time. <clears throat> we will soon be talking about self-remembering, which is to be able to answer that question, what am I? Self-knowing just tells me what I'm not. That is useful for breaking identification, but it doesn't give me any other useful information. It doesn't tell me what I am. Now all I know is that I'm not that. Now we're starting, now we've got a real being here. When a person is in a state of self-remembering, that's called being present in the moment by most people. Now we have somebody actually here. They're paying attention, they know what the personality is doing and know that it's not them. And they're actually here in this moment experiencing it. They know what they are. They know what's going on, paying attention. 
and they're very much aware of being in relationship with something else because they know that they're not that being that does all these things. So I've said a simple thing, I'll do my job. I'm not here to see how much pleasure I can cram into this life. I'll do my job. I'll admit that at this point in the inner world I'm just a child. Not much can be expected of me. It doesn't belittle me when I fall asleep. It just means that I'm young. I've developed physically, but I haven't developed inside, spiritually. The spirit in here just never got what it needed to develop. And so I'm going to give it what it needs. Food. I give it food. Just never had before. Because spiritual food is the teaching ideas. Ideas that actually describe reality so the eye can act reasonably and rationally in a world that makes sense instead of with all these questions about why and I don't understand and explanations that make no sense when you actually look at them and they're mainly just ways to blame. So I give it food ideas to experience for itself. Not to believe because the authority said it, but to actually go out and find out for self. And I'll give it experiences to grow. And I'll put value on that growth, that inner growth. It says my first job is to be aware of the self as close as I can get to 100% of the time. Then I can move on. When I know what I'm not, I can move on and say I know what I am. But as long as there's still identification going on, I, I can't possibly experience remembrance of what I am. I'm still confused and think that I'm something I'm not. That's what the work is about. All the rest of the stuff that we're doing is not the work. The work is a gift from X. So that you can, if you want to, be a partner and not just go through this life with X actually doing everything and you thinking you're doing it. And so you can actually have a partnership with that being and work together to make a life that you want to live. It's a gift. It's not even for X, it's for you. If you choose to accept that gift. So the topic for consideration this week is, what is my nature? I may not know what I am yet, but what is my nature as a human being, as a human awareness function? Is it to walk around always having something to blame? Always being able to answer the question, what is to blame, what's the cause, why, however you want to phrase it. Or is my nature as the awareness function to be aware? So that this incredible spirit that I share the game of being human with can respond with all the creativity that comes from the creator of all things. And see if I can be obedient to that nature and just be 
aware for a while. I can take on more later, but I think I got to at least do that first before I even try to do anything else. Anything that I try to do when I'm not being me just means I'm still lost in the dream. See if that would be okay with me at this point in time. To say it would be okay to just be obedient to my nature as the awareness function of X and do my job. Be aware all of the time what's going on. And start to sense, not sense, but be aware of the presence of another being sharing this experience with me. Then I can say I'm doing the work. I'm having the experience of being with life. That really is what the work is about, is about having that experience of relationship with life consciously. Because X is the one who does everything that I think I want done. I don't know how to do what's called spiritual work. X does. The only thing I can do is the same thing I do with walking. <coughs> Remember the sequence of events to tell X how <coughs> what I want done. That's the only how that I know about walking. Okay, I don't know how to walk. I know how to tell X a certain thing that gets walking done. But the how of walking is beyond me. With trial and error, I found a way <clears throat> that if you report this way, walking happens instead of falling on your butt. And so the personality remembered that for me, and now I say, I know how to walk. But I don't. What I know how to do is how to repeat an experience of saying, I want to walk. You can see the awareness is not very good at its job when it gets here. It's not very good at even saying what it wants. We know it's not very good at being aware of what's going on. That's really clear when you look at the world that we've built, because it does not match any reality that I can see. But we're not even very good at saying what we want. It takes considerable effort to learn how to say what I want and have X make sense out of it. So, <clears throat> for practical purposes, if you can think of other experiments to do, I'd be interested in hearing about them. But the one that I would think would be very interesting to do would be to say, what is the obstruction to being obedient to my nature? Of course, I suspect that's plural. <laughs> What are all the reasons that I have for, for not doing that? Because in this work, 
we say that anything that I can do in potential, I do not have to work at doing. That's one of the things that makes the teaching ideas so difficult for us to comprehend, because we're used to the idea that if you want to do something, you have to very work very hard at doing that thing. The teaching says it doesn't work that way. If it's yours in potential, it will develop naturally. If it's not, there's something in the way. And your job is not to try to develop it because you have no idea how to do that. Your job is to find out what's in the way and get rid of it. And that's what this whole teaching is based on, is that very simple concept. That the reason we have so much trouble developing is because we're going about it wrong. We think that if you want to develop psychic ability, then you sit around and you do psychic exercises, right? That's how you develop some odd ability. So you sit around and you practice. You do these odd exercises that will develop that ability. And the teaching says, if you have the potential to be psychic, which you may not, in which case no amount of practice is going to do you a damn bit of good, but if you do have that potential and it's not expressing itself, it's because there's something in the way. In which case, no amount of practicing is ever going to develop it. The work is to find what's obstructing it and get rid of it. And then it will happen naturally by growth. X will do it, in other words. Any ability that's ever been developed in this one has never been developed by working at it. It's been developed by seeing what was obstructing it and working with X to get rid of that obstruction and by constantly saying to X, I'd like this developed. And X always showed the way to do it. I could not have figured out how to do it. There's nobody holding my hand saying, do this and this wonderful thing will happen. <clears throat> it was just a simple game of the awareness saying, you know, I would like to do that. And the first thing that happens is you come up with all the obstructions about why you can't. And you look at those and realize they're just illusions, and they go poof. And at a certain point, there are no more obstructions to the development of that. And then odd things start to happen, all by themselves. And X starts doing odd little things that don't make any sense to the awareness most of the time, except that that thing grows. And then you find that you have some ability that you never had before. And you did nothing according to the way people normally develop things, to develop it. <clears throat> I didn't come here with the gift of healing. Some people do. But I always thought that was a neat thing to be able to heal. I thought that was really just a treasured gift. So I told X, I would like to do that to the best of this ability, which may never amount to much, because I don't have the gift. I know that. And I found lots of obstructions, like believing that you had to do it a certain way. <laughs> Boy, were there a lot of beliefs about that subject. 
every one of those got looked at and said, oh, who says? I don't know anything about it. How can I know how it's done? I can't do it. That's why I mean, it's goofy, isn't it? But boy, I had all these ideas about how it was done. So every time it came up, there'd come up some idea. It's like, I don't know whether that's how it's done or not. I've never done it. <clears throat> and a few times, real necessity came up for a healing to happen for someone. And the next would do something really outrageous, and I'd just sort of snoop. So, oh, that's interesting. Boy, that's real different than the way I thought it would be. In other words, it was just the willingness to do it. Things would come into the life where it needed doing. The next did it, not me. I know damn well it wasn't me. I didn't know anything about the thing. And after a certain period of time, there is some ability now in that area. It'll never be like someone who's really gifted with that, who can do all sorts of things that are very hard for this one. But I can do it. And X really just showed the way. <clears throat> Not by saying, oh, practice this thing or do this thing, but some moment would come up when somebody really could use a healing. And X just said, do this. Doesn't matter whether it makes sense to you. And i got to say, some of them happened in ways that just would never have occurred to me. Just odd little things. I mean, I'm not even going to say what they are. It would just, it would just be words. <clears throat> but it's been nothing like what I expected, although I find it fascinating. It happened from working with life, who doesn't know how to do it, even though I don't. I don't have the gift for it, so it didn't develop naturally in, in the sense of just the kind of like showing up when you least expected it, which happens to people with the gift. I mean, people just get healed around them. And they have odd experiences and they don't understand what's going on. They have the gift for this. But it happened because I showed the way. Because it was something that this awareness was interested in. And I don't claim to have the ability I don't do any healing. There's only one healer to the best of this one's knowledge in the entire universe. <clears throat> but this awareness has learned how or what to report so that that healing can take place. Very few awarenesses on this planet know that. That's what the awareness has learned to do, to be obedient to its nature and report. One of the things that was noticed about healing was that the reason why most people don't get healed is because they never tell X what the problem is. They never tell X what's going on. They tell X how much they hate this experience, but they never say what the experience is. So half the time, all you need to do to get get healing to happen for someone is just say, X, this person has a bellyache. That's it. <laughs> Turns out that that's one thing that you can always do is just do your job. Report what is. And sometimes that's all it takes. The person will get better just like that. You've seen that happen. 
various times little things have happened to you and you weren't feeling too good and I just said, X, she has a headache right now and black the headache, gone. Because all you were doing was telling X how much you hated your life. You had no idea why. You never bothered to say you had a headache. If you just told him, he would have done so. See, we're not doing our job as the awareness function. We're busy saying, I hate this experience. Gee, I wish this would change. What would make this better? How? What's to blame? All this stuff. And X never finds out what you're upset about. I know that doesn't make sense to a lot of the times, because that's all we can think about is what's upsetting us. But it's not what we're telling X. Because that's the whole problem. It stays in the thoughts. And we've repeated around here a number of times, X doesn't hear your thoughts. So yes, it's all you can think about what the problem is, but X hears the feelings that you have. And the feelings just describe this terrible state of emergency, but they don't say what it is. Because all you're thinking about is how to get away from it. And so all the feelings are about running from something. And X really doesn't know from what. If you just sit there for a moment and say, I have a headache. God, it hurts. X would say, well, why didn't you say something? <laughs> but we don't do that. That's the first thing I found out in healing. <clears throat> Most of the time, you can seem like a great healer. And all you have to do is say, the person is... <laughs> <laughs> has such and such a symptom. That's it. Just ask them what the symptom is and tell X. In a considerable amount of time, it'll go away just like that. Because X just didn't know what was going on. The awareness wasn't doing its job. It was not being obedient to its nature. So there's one of the obstructions, isn't it? Believing that I do something about it, so why should I tell X what's really going on? That's what I'd like us to do this week, is to see what the obstruction is to being obedient to the nature. And apparently one of them is the belief, I'm the one who knows how to do things. I don't need to be in partnership with a vast intelligence. I have such a vast intelligence myself. I know everything. Just ask me. <laughs> One way that I can see to discover what the obstructions to doing this is, is to attempt to do it. I've done that several times to find the obstruction to something. Just go do it. Of course, I don't do it, but I certainly find out why I don't real fast. What's in the way? <clears throat> so that's one way to do this experiment, is to just say, I'm going to spend some time being obedient to my nature and just reporting what's going on and seeing all the reasons you have for doing something else instead. Like thinking. <laughs> so thinking is that thing that points out that big obstruction that says, I can see how. If I were actually in relationship with a being that already knew how, why would I need to think it out? That says very clearly what one of the biggest obstructions is. 
I can figure it out. I don't need Any questions or comments? Okay. Good.